Well, good evening. Oh. I can say howdy, y'all. That, uh, that works for me, too, I think. So, well, welcome to the worship of our great God here at Redeemer OPC. Uh, we've got a few announcements as we get started. Uh, first, uh, tonight we have our praise service, so the, the order of service is a little bit different than we typically uh, do. We've got a, a couple more songs in, uh, but this should be a wonderful time of, of worshiping our God and following the service. Uh, we have a fiesta and fellowship potluck, uh, so if you are here for the first time, we would love to invite you to that. Uh, lots of good Mexican food, I've been uh, told, and uh, it should be a, a delightful time to get to know uh, one another and um, to, to uh, build closer bonds if you've been here for a while. Uh, this is, I think, the first fiesta, and all it took was me leaving in order for y'all to do this. So I hope that this continues on, that this catches now, and you say, why weren't we doing this all along? Uh, because Mexican food is great, so there's that. Um, I, I also wanted to note uh, that uh, you, you probably have seen this, but I, I wanted to highlight this especially, uh, that Laurel DeLang has been hired as the children's ministry coordinator. Uh, I'm really excited for what she is uh, planning on doing, and uh, I've worked with her quite a bit already with children's ministry. So um, I'm really excited. I've been praying for her, and I hope you will pray for her as well. Uh, I think she's going to do uh, just a tremendous job. Uh, the last announcement I have is about TASK. If you are a high schooler, uh, we're doing TASK again, uh, but this year we're having it here. If you are interested in attending at all, even if you're a little questionable, if you think that it's like a 30% chance that you want to go to TASK, be sure to tell John Bross uh, they have to sign up for a selection of spots. So they'll say uh, 10 spots or 18 spots. So you're not saying... For sure, you're just saying that you're interested. Uh, he needs to know by uh, February 1st, so be sure to reach out to him uh, by that point. Uh, so that's all my announcements. Let's uh, take a moment now and prepare to worship our God. As we draw near to worship our great God, uh, Solomon reminds us of these truths of who our God is, and it's, it's in meditating on this that we are invited in and uh, called to delight uh, in the God who has made us and who redeems his people from Psalm 72. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Let's stand and sing God and King.
Let's go to our God in prayer and ask his blessing on our time. Our great God and King, Lord, it is our delight to draw near to you this evening, Lord, and offer our prayers and our praise to you, for you are most deserving, Lord. There is no one like you. There is no one who does wondrous deeds like you do, Lord. And it is just such a joyful thing that we can, that we can offer ourselves to you as your people. And Lord, we pray that you would fix in our minds Jesus Christ, that we would remember the cost of his sacrifice that he alone could pay. And Lord, that we would be strengthened by your, by your spirit, that we would have, have joy and, and, and overflowing peace, Lord, in knowing that we belong to you, Lord. This is uh, our great joy and delight to worship you, Lord. And so please guide us into this more, Lord. We ask these things in, in Christ's name. Amen. Let's continue to worship with hallelujah, thine the glory. who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exalt in your name all the day and in all your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength, 
By your favor, our horn is exalted. That whispered in my ear What would I do if they all disappeared Riches and fame and all that they could buy I've come to find they never satisfy What would I gain if my soul's the prize I don't want to love what the Please be seated. We have the privilege of praying this evening for Pastors Stephen Nyland and the Frontline Street Ministry, a Redeemer-supported mission here in Grand Rapids. Pastor Nyland is a full-time street preacher, uh, also preaches to veterans as a chaplain. Uh, Frontline's Grand Rapids ministries include street preaching and evangelism, ministering at abortion clinics ministering to veterans, and equipping churches in biblical evangelism. 
Frontline's primary location for street preaching is at Grand Rapids uh, Burton and Eastern um, Streets neighborhood, an inner city intersection where there are many different urban cultures and backgrounds. Um, join me in prayers and praises this evening now for Pastor Nyland's prayer requests. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, Savior, and friend, in Frontline Street Ministry, Lord, we pray for Cynthia, a regular to the street corner, an addict claiming to be haunted by demons. We pray for Cynthia's healing, swift and radical conversion, comfort and assurance in Christ. In Frontline's abortion counseling ministry, outside of the Planned Parenthood office here in Grand Rapids, we join Pastor Nyland's thanks and praise for your many blessings in this ministry, recently including a woman who heard the gospel through a brick wall and was convicted to leave the clinic in Jesus' name while reaffirming her faith. Lord, we give praise and thanks to you. We pray you would draw her closer to you for her healthy pregnancy and for the life of her baby. We also give thanks for Frontline's counseling to patients undergoing Planned Parenthood's transgender hormone therapy. We give thanks for Frontline sharing your word with these patients, their families. We pray that Frontline remains faithful, compassionate, and true to your gospel and the word of truth in its counseling. We pray for Pastor Nyland's Reformed Street Preachers Forum, hosted on the Semper Reformata website where he leads discussions of reform topics in street preaching and evangelism. Lord, we pray that, that that forum would be effective in sharing your word among pastors engaged in street preaching and evangelism. Finally, Lord, we pray for Pastor Nyland, for Frontline's reformed evangelism in Grand Rapids that you would call and draw closer to you the communities served by him and these ministries. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please now stand and join in singing a praise song, Revelation Song.
the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength.
Please remain standing and join me in a prayer of thanksgiving. Holy God, we thank you that we may know you as our Abba Father and faithful friend. What a blessing that we who are so comparatively small in this vast universe can boldly approach you. We thank you for the ways you calm our souls that are afraid, worn down, and lonely. But even more so, we thank you for the way that you still the souls of your elect by removing the terror of eternal judgment and replacing that with the joy of living in communion with you. We are grateful, God, for the ways that you have blessed this congregation with diligent and caring leaders. As Pastor Dan and his family leave for Virginia this week, we are reminded of the blessing of his service for the past several years. And though we are sad to watch the Adams leave, we rejoice that you have given them such a clear and compelling call. Likewise, we rejoice with Pastor Dan's new congregation and the ways you are sustaining and caring for them. We thank you, Father, for your written revelation, the Bible, and for ministers who, through the Holy Spirit, help us to understand it more deeply. We thank you for Pastor Jeff and his willingness to preach your word this evening. Would you please allow him to recall and effectively communicate all that you have guided him to prepare? And as we now have an opportunity to return to you just a token of the blessings you have showered on us, we pray that you find our hearts brimming with cheerfulness and gratitude and that you would guide all those involved in the stewarding of these offerings. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Tonight I'd like to turn with you to the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. Just five verses there, verses that seem appropriate for tonight. Usually in the evening I would pick a section of Scripture that goes with a basic truth of the Christian faith. Tonight I'm varying that because this Sunday we have been thinking about one of our pastors leaving. So from Acts chapter 16, hear the word of the Lord, these five verses. And they went through the region of Pergia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the word of our Lord. In my time as a pastor, I preached a number of sermons that we call installation sermons. These are sermons that are preached usually on a weeknight when a pastor has been called to a new congregation and we do what is sort of anachronistically in our English language, we install him. That is to say, we officially recognize him and set him apart for the pastoral work in a congregation through the blessing of the Lord. About six years ago this time, that happened when Pastor Dan was ordained and installed in this church. I am glad for that process, even though I was not here when Pastor Dan was installed. That process brings uniformity and clarity, consistency to what we do when we have a new pastor. It's a good process. But in looking through our book of church order... If you don't know what that is, that's a book that we use, we've agreed to, as part of the OPC to use as part of what guides us in the way that our church works. If you look through the BCO, you would see that in chapter 20, there's a whole set of guidelines for what you do when a pastor is installed. But there is not a place, as far as I can tell, in the book of church order that tells us what to do tonight when a pastor is going to be leaving. It is what I would describe as a curious omission in the book of church order, and it's not unique to our church, our local church, or to the OPC. I'm something of a denominational hybrid, having been in a couple. And in those denominations, there is no uninstalling guidance either. Although there are various steps that must happen when a local congregation goes about releasing a pastor from his call, again, I say, there's no particular guidance for what to do in an evening like this. Tonight, Dan is a pastor in our congregation. Tomorrow, he's not. So what do we say? Why is there that omission? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons. The first one is not so great, but it's a real reason. One of the reasons, I think, might be that sometimes the parting between a pastor and the congregation isn't a very pleasant one. It's not happy. That sort of unhappy leaving has occurred a number of times 
In a lot of churches over the last couple of years, there's been conflict and there's been heartache. And eventually the pastor might decide, my time here is up, and he sort of leaves. And even though there might be a happy face occasionally, at least we paste on and say, well, so glad for your service here. We're not fooling anyone. Everybody knows it's an unhappy leaving. Or maybe that's felt on behalf of the pastor himself. He's tried really, really hard over a long period of time. And instead of appreciation, instead of support and encouragement, he gets so discouraged, he finally throws his hands in the air, if not literally, at least in his heart, and he says, my time here is over, I'm gone. I can remember when I was early in pastoral ministry, there was a congregation I knew who did not even have a clue. The leaders did, but the congregation didn't. They did not have a clue that their pastor was leaving until they saw a U-Haul lined up at the parsonage. And then they wondered what in the world was happening, and secretly some of the leaders were happy to see him go. That's not happening here. We're really going to miss Dan and or as well as their children. Dan's not leaving in the middle of the night. <laughs> There's no great problem that precipitates them leaving. Which leaves us with this question. What should we think about a pastor being called somewhere else? Or to turn it into a bigger question, how do we discern when the Lord is calling us to do something else in a different place? And tonight I've selected a section of Scripture after this very long introduction to help us understand, at least to give us guidance, about that question of uncertainty when we want or at least we perceive that the Lord might be leading us to do something else. And here's here's why I've decided to preach in these five verses. And hopefully this has a connection with your heart, whether tonight you're a pastor who's leaving along along with his dear family, or you're a member of the congregation, if you've never left a pastoral call, but there's something else going on in your life, and you're wondering, where is the Lord leading me? And here's the point that it seems to me the Spirit is making through the story with the Apostle Paul. I'm going to say it once and then repeat it a number of times in this evening's sermon. And the point is, even in the middle of uncertainty, even with a lot of uncertainty, We can be confident that God will use us. That's the point that I believe the Spirit is making through this event in Paul's life. Now let me explain to you why that's true. Even uncertainty, we can be confident that the Lord is using us. First, I want to point out to you what is not expected in this passage. The section that I read for you, these five verses, come in what we'll eventually know as Paul's secondary, uh, second missionary journey. But if you look back at the end of chapter 5, you will notice that Paul and his companions did not start out on what they thought was a second missionary journey. It's a little bit like after the First World, World War that they called the war to end all wars. Nobody anticipated a second world war. Why would you? The first one was done. It's taken care of. Everything that needs to be done, pretty much. And what we have in chapter 15 at the end is Paul and his companions going to visit the churches that were already established. 
But when we come to our section of 16, this trip has changed a bit, and most likely because of what we read at the beginning of chapter 16. Somebody new has entered the picture. In this case, it is Timothy. Timothy, who has one parent who is a Greek, the other who is a Jew. And Paul sees usefulness. He sees how the Lord might use Timothy, not only in the life of the local church, but also in the life of the churches as a whole. And so the missionary journey moves from going to strengthen the churches that already existed to reaching those places where they had not gone yet. And that desire to reach other places is what really comes into full blossom in verses 6 and following. So the question is, where will they go? Where should Paul and Silas, along with Timothy, now go? Where is the Lord calling them? Where is he leading them to go? One of the most natural places that they might go would be to Asia Minor. Now, you might not have any clue what that means, and you shouldn't feel guilty if you don't. I'll simply explain it to you. Asia Minor was the place that if you were in a contemporary missions committee with the Apostle Paul, and you're looking at the map of the Middle East, and someone were to ask, where are there no churches? Where is the gospel yet not penetrated? Where do we need to send people so that people will hear about Jesus Christ you would have agreed together as a missions committee, look at Asia Minor. There's a place with no churches. We ought to send somebody there. Now here's the really remarkable thing that you might, again, might not think about in this chapter from the book of Acts. And that is, if you suggested that to be true, I would tell you you were absolutely right. Because later on in 2 Corinthians, Paul records how he and his companions went to Asia. And not only did they go to Asia, but in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8 and 9, it says their going to that part of the world was so difficult, so terrible, they they despaired even of life, and they felt they had received the sentence of death. So difficult was the ministry that they eventually were taken to in Asia Minor. Most likely what is being referred to there goes back to Acts chapter 19, a few chapters after where we're reading tonight. In that chapter you will notice there's an uproar because faith in Jesus Christ was threatening the sale of idols that were used to worship Artemis. And that story takes place in Asia Minor. And so here's a very simple thing you might not have realized. Eventually, Paul and his companions do go to Asia Minor. So that leads us with the question here in this section. Why in the world do we read in verse 6 first, quote, they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word word in Asia. And then again at the end of verse 7, it says, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go. Why? And how do we make sense of that when we see an opportunity and we wonder, is the Lord calling me to that? There's all kinds of speculation about what it meant that they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go to Asia Minor, that the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go. Perhaps it was a direct revelation. 
Silas is identified in the end of Acts chapter 15 as a prophet. Did God speak directly to him and say, you cannot go to Asia Minor at this point? Or was it as it often was in Paul's missionary journeys, opposition by the Jews? Or to speculate a bit further, maybe there was an illness that prevented Paul or Silas or Timothy from going Or it may even been a disagreement between Paul and some of his companions. All of that is speculation. We do not know. The passage seems to intentionally leave open. In other words, it's not the point of what Paul is writing here. The point is not for us to understand why it didn't happen. The point of this passage lies somewhere else. Why could the gospel not go? to Asia Minor at this point. If there is good work to be done, and eventually Paul and his companions go to do that work, even if the work was very, very hard, why is he prevented here? Why can't he go? In order to understand eventually the answer to this question, I hope, to see what the Lord is teaching us in this passage, I want you to see that there's a positive side to what God is doing as well. We need to focus on where they did go. If you look at verse 9 of our passage, it says something pretty surprising happens. God speaks to Paul through a dream. And there is a man from Macedonia who appears to him and says, Come over here and help us. We need your help. We need the gospel proclaimed in this place. This place, the best way to describe The place where the gospel was needed is in what we would now call the upper portion of the nation of Greece. And if you want to know what that means in terms of churches that are eventually established, they would be the churches of Philippi, Thessalonica, a letter that we heard from this morning that Dan preached from, and the city of Berea where they were commended because they searched the scriptures to see whether what Paul said was true. These become churches that are notable in the New Testament. They become some of the most well-known churches in the New Testament in places where the gospel work of Jesus is done in an amazing and powerful way. So if this passage says no to the Apostle Paul when he wanted to go to a place that was good, where work was needed, and eventually work was done, and instead God was saying, go to this other place, also a place where the gospel would go and good work would be done and there would be fruitful work accomplished. What in the world are we to think about in this passage? What sort of conclusions might the Lord want us to draw? I'm going to start by summarizing for you two things. First, this passage shows that there was not something inherently wrong with Asia itself. In other words, one of the choices that Paul had and that Paul desired to take was not a wrong choice. He wasn't sinful in seeking to do so. There's nothing in the passage that would indicate that Paul's desire was wrong, that what was wrong was... Paul violating the revealed will of God. If I can just pause there for a moment and stress that point, we can know that what we seek is not the will of God if what is he has revealed to us in the scriptures would tell us not to do it. It seems like such a simple thing, but it's amazing how often we ignore that truth. 
But that's not the case in this passage. He's not violating a commandment of God that God has clearly given. That's not the problem. Second, I want you to notice that going to the churches of Macedonia was a very good thing. It's a choice, really, between a good thing and another good thing. It's not a choice between a good thing and a bad thing or a bad thing and a good thing. It's a choice between good and good. Which leads me tonight to this question, to answer this question, why is this passage here? How does this passage lead us to see that even in the middle sometimes of not knowing what the Lord is doing and where he is calling, we can have confidence that he is at work in us? Now I'm saying that to each one of you. Because even if you are not an ordained pastor, and tonight your question is, not how are we going to move to Vienna. (laughs) These are still the sorts of questions that come to mind, aren't they? Maybe it's a question about your employment. Maybe it's about something else. Maybe it's a struggle that you have. You're trying to seek the Lord's will. You're not being sinful in it, and it doesn't seem... It doesn't seem to be resolved clearly. Just as for Paul, first, it did not seem to be clearly resolved. Why won't the Spirit allow us to go to a place where the gospel is needed? There are three things that I think help us on an evening like this. We're trying to discern how it is that we can know the Lord will use us even if we're not certain in the moment. There are three things I want you to consider that come from this passage. The first thing I want you to note is that you can trust God. You can actually trust God to actually lead you. It's not unchristian at all. It's not contrary to the doctrines of the Christian faith, the great doctrines of the Christian faith, like adoption, justification, sanctification, to say, I believe those, and I believe that the Lord leads me. These are not in opposition to each other. In fact, if we believe that the great truths of our soteriology, that God is absolutely in control, that God is the one who opens our heart or we would run far from Him, if we believe that is really true, that's what the Bible says, that the Bible exalts God as God, that applies not only in our salvation, it applies in the little details of your life as well. Do you believe that? I have found very often as a Reformed Christian that I can say so clearly, God is sovereign in my justification. And then in the smallest choices in life, guess what? I fall to a million pieces. My wife isn't here tonight. She's watching over the internet. When I say that, she always wonders, what am I going to say next? What I'm going to say is someone who is very wise. Guess who that is? Yes, my wife will often tell me that my lack of confidence in God shows up when I need to make a major decision. Isn't that interesting? I like to think it took her 25 years to figure that out. It probably took her about six months. I can probably come off confident about a whole bunch of things. But when it comes to making decisions, I will go through three phases, I guarantee you. I will first go through the phase where I have a lot of doubts about the decision itself that I have made. I will feel like in the moment when I am forced to make the decision, I'm just picking and I don't really know if it's the right one or the wrong one. 
And then after the decision is done, I will doubt whether I have done the right thing. That sound accurate? Maybe I'm the only one who does that. What if if instead of that, I was confident that God is so great, and here's the second thing, that God is so kind, that God is not only powerful enough, I find that much easier to believe than that God is gracious. It is easier for me to testify that the world and everything in it was created by the word of God than to believe in a decision I need to make that God is kind enough that he will use me even if I'm uncertain. Why is that? Because the creation of all things out of nothing does not take into account my sinfulness. God's grace is required because I am a sinner. You've heard me say a few times from this pulpit how much I'm going to miss Dan. I can't look at him right now. There's a lot of reasons for that. Maybe it's because we look at ministry similarly. Maybe it's because, you know, you work with someone for a while and then no matter who they would be, you'd miss them. This is not that way. But even though I might have this sense, boy, am I going to miss him and his family. I have no doubt that the decision that Dan and his wife have made is fully within the will of God. And it's not because I know everything that happens in the greatness of heaven. It's not because I've perched on the shoulder of the Lord as he is working things out in history. It's not true. I would be in a similar position where the Apostle Paul is saying, Asia seems ripe, Lord. (laughs) How could you say no twice? And then the Lord opens another door. As he might for a pastor. And he says, no, not that door. Take this one instead. How is it that we can feel content in the Lord's will, as difficult as it might be, sometimes as painful as it is, as much as we might not understand why, how is that possible? Because of these two characteristics of the character of God, God is so powerful. He can do things that you could never even imagine, but he matches that with a limitless grace. That means even in those decisions where you second-guess yourself, the Lord is able to move you and use you because of His kindness. There might be times where after Pastor Dan and Nora leave, they think, what in the world? We left all these smiling, happy faces, and now we're trying to find a pediatrician. Those times happen. But I can say as certainly to them as I would say to each and every one of you, even in the middle of sometimes those moments of uncertainty, the power and the kindness of the Lord is still yours. It never fails. It never changes. As fickle as I am in my decision-making, the opposite infinitely is the character of our God. 
And no matter where you find yourself, whether it's leaving here to go to Vienna tomorrow, or you've got to work out in your life, or you reflect on things that have happened to you, let me assure you, and I believe that's the reason, this section is in the Scripture, so that in moments of striving and not always knowing what the Lord is doing, we can wait patiently and confidently in the Lord. Let me add to that a second thing that will not be a surprise to you. That the Lord can use us even if we're not certain what He's doing. This passage tells us that in a moment we can be confident not only that the Lord will use us, but also He will use us just at the right time. Just think over your own life and ask yourself the question, how often have you doubted not only the Lord's intentions, but His timing? Most of you don't know this, but my wife and I were married for five years before we had a child. That was not our design. It's not what we intended. And I can remember showing up sometimes to baptisms. You know why I love baptisms so much? Because I remember a time when I would have given my pinky fingers for that to be our child. And I can remember wrestling in my own soul, what are you doing, Lord? Why is your timing so off? Only to realize later that even if I did not know the timing of the Lord, it's not only His power and His grace that are on display in our moments of uncertainty, His timing is also good. We never know from the Scriptures why the Lord put such a hard no at this moment of going into Asia Minor, especially when later on we see Paul and his companions going there and almost being killed. You might think, Lord, why your timing so off? If they would have gone earlier, maybe it would have been better. You might wonder the same thing. But take confidence that the Lord will use you, that He will lead you where to go, that even if there's uncertainty, at this point God is saying no to your Asia there will also be a moment at which he will tell you, go to Macedonia. It's just as certainly as the Lord used the Apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy in his power and his grace at exactly the right time, the Lord will do the same for you. It might not be through a dream the Lord gives you. It might not be, you would even say with the same clarity that the Apostle Paul gave. But let me tell you, this Paul who recorded this is the same Paul who, Romans, who wrote Romans 8.28. You know what that says? For God works all things together for good. To those who are called by Him according to His purpose. That's your promise tonight. Wherever you are, not only believe that, that's simple to say, rest in it. Rest in it, my friend. And finally, the third thing that I want to tell you tonight from this passage, not just for Dan and Nora, but also for each one of you, the uncertainty of life and God's ability to work in it is not only because His power and grace, it's not only because God will use that power and grace at just the right time. Here's the thing, we can take joy in the work of Jesus in the middle of it. Here's where I want to bubble up to the service. You know why the Apostle Paul is even making these missionary journeys in Acts 15 and 16 and so on? 
It's because before our Lord ascended into heaven, he gave his church a commission. Just like an officer in the armed forces is given a commission, you are now set apart for this particular role. The Lord did the same for the church. He said, go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you because I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That's true for us here at Redeemer. The Lord has called us into this place and time with these people, praise the Lord. I can honestly say I am glad that we together are doing this work. I'm thrilled by that. But it doesn't stop here. The same work is going on in Vienna. It's going on in Chicago and New York. It's going on from east to west, north to south, and across the world. So that even if we don't see each other face to face, we are still in union with the church of Jesus Christ, bringing the gospel to the nations and to the world. Which means even in a moment, as we sung, of sweet parting. Not sweet parting, sorrowful parting. We don't do it with regret. We don't say... Well, I begrudge you for it, brother and sister. What we say is because the Lord, even in those uncertain choices that we make, even if they're difficult to perceive, the Lord is able to use us individually and together. And therefore, we take great joy. I remember when I was in seminary, we would have these graduating classes, of course. You invest in students for a number of years. I'm sure some of you who teach at a seminary or you teach in a school, you have this moment where you reach the end of the year, you have graduation, and there's always this emotional angst in your soul because they're going off. I'm not going to see them anymore. You get kind of a similar feeling about this. It's not just that we're losing a pastor Would you think together with me that we're sending a brother and sister and family in the Lord to another place to do his work? Think back six years when they came here, all the changes that have happened, both in their family, that's obvious, but also growth and development. It's amazing. I'm very thankful for it. Wouldn't change it. Because in those moments and those days, the Lord was at work. And as he has been at work, he's at work now in them and in you. And he will continue to do that work in them, even if we don't see each other every Sunday. So I say to each one of you, including Dan and Nora and their families and their family, the Lord is with you. Even sometimes if it looks uncertain, if you want what seems to be right and the Lord says no by his spirits, he's still good, he's still gracious, he's still powerful. In the right time, he will work at just the right time. And he will do so because he has called us together as the church of Jesus Christ to pursue the things that matter most to him. Praise the Lord for his grace. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we are so very grateful tonight to open up to a passage that may seem almost incidental in the history of the Apostle Paul. And we wonder why in the world is this even recorded? It may very well be 
that our Savior in the moment at which His Spirit caused these words to be penned by the Apostle Paul recording this history. Of course, you knew, Lord, that we, that we would be here tonight. In these circumstances, with these people, none of this is accidental to you. And we pray that by the power of your Spirit, the same one who has placed these words before us, these words would go deep into our hearts. That we would send off our brother and sister in the Lord, not decommissioning them or uninstalling, but rather sending them out to do the great work of the gospel in another place. Father, we rejoice in this together, both in the moment but for eternity, anticipating the day when there will be no separation for any child of God by time or space. There will only be complete joy in the presence of our infinite God. And so, Lord, we lay these things before you, thankful, deeply joyful in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand and sing?
In just a moment, we're going to sing a doxology, and that's going to be printed on the screen over there and also behind me. Uh, Tonight, it would be very nice if at some point in your time here at Redeemer, if Pastor Dan has ministered to you, so if you've been in youth group, in Sunday school somewhere, um, it's going to include those of you who are very young and some of you who are not quite as old as I am, but maybe halfway there. If you can just come forward and sing with me, you're going to sing with the congregation. Okay, so just come up here. Yep, you can walk up here. Please do. You can come all the way up here. Just come all the way up. Yep. You can squish a little bit. That's all right. And of course, we're going to ask Dan and Nora to come up here. If you can just come over this way, please. Sorry. (laughs) Normally, I would warn you, but tonight I wasn't going to warn you. So first, I'm going to pronounce a benediction. And before I give a benediction, I would ordinarily give to the congregation... I'm going to pray for Dan and Nora, okay? And then after I pray for them and I give the benediction to you as a body of Christ, then we're going to sing, okay? So if you join me in prayer, please. Oh, Holy Father, God of the universe and God of this church, God of us corporately and individually, Tonight is a precious moment in the life of our church, but also in the life of the Adams. Father, we pray for them as they leave this place and go and serve our great God and another. We ask, Lord, that you would go with them and they would have great joy and a powerful sense of your presence with them. And as they begin a work in a new place, we pray for your spirit to give them not only joy but peace in their work. We pray that you would give them the time and the energy not only to minister to a congregation but also to each other and to their family. We pray that you'd surround them with people in their new church who will love them and care for them. That you would equip Dan to preach and to teach in a way that is not hesitant but courageous and powerful. That as he is called to lead a congregation, that they will respond to his passion and they will follow with great enthusiasm. And we pray through their ministry, that community that surrounds that church building in Vienna, that that community would come to see the power of the transformative nature of the gospel. That there would be many who would come to faith and grow because of the presence of Dan and Nora and their children. So that then when they have finished, whether it is in Vienna or when their life in this world is over, that they would complete this journey with joy and in the strength of our God. For we pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. And I want to remind you with these words from Lamentations 3. There the scriptures say, Because of the Lord's great strength, we are not consumed. You are not, of course. 
for his compassions never fail. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And so the writer says, I can say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. May that be true for you. And brothers and sisters, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of you. Amen. Now we're going to sing. You can stand or you can sit down if you want. (laughs) 